Good to see you folks this Lord's Day morning, and hopefully everybody has some notes that say Lesson 1 of Creation. And um, the, the first thing to do is if, if turn about like three pages in, and then you'll see where it says Bible Students Commentary, and then just just do this number and fold them over, and because we'll, we'll start here, and that's the order that, in which we'll go, so that'll, that'll help you. So... Um, Okay, and let me uh, encourage you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the Lord's Day. We thank you for the privilege we have to come together as a, as a people of God and begin the day by interacting with your pure and precious and holy word. We, we pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear in Holy Scripture. I would pray these moments for the help of your Holy Spirit to convey holy things in a way that is pleasing to thee, in, in a way that is edifying to our, our souls and instructive to our minds, but especially helpful to our own conformity to the person of your Son, our, our own helpful in our own walk with the Lord. So pray that you would just bless our, our time together, and it would be a, a precious preparation even for worship later on this morning. So we commit the, the time to thee, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is, a, I think, the second lesson on uh, creation, um, which is uh, from the London Baptist Confession of Faith, but we really haven't looked too much at that yet. Um, it's the fourth chapter. It's a very short chapter on creation. Um, and uh, I think last time I looked at the seven reasons why creation is such an important doctrine. And today, basically, we're going to do three things. I, to begin, I just have a few remarks on Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Then secondly, we'll look at three divisions of thought related to that. And then thirdly, we'll get to um, the notes. Uh, we'll, we'll get to some of the notes before that. But thirdly, we'll get to the notes specifically that relate to the confession. At least that's, that's our plan. So uh, to begin with, just some, some thoughts related to uh, the verse, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm, I'm quoting here from uh, some older German commentators. They're, they're called Kyle and Dalich, which is a very helpful set, at least has been to me. And they write that heaven and earth have not existed from all eternity, but had a beginning. Nor did they arise by emanation from an absolute substance, but were created by God. So it's, it's not uh, too difficult, maybe, if you drive into an area and there's a new housing development. You can kind of get some sense of maybe what it looked like before if you look at the surrounding area. But it's very difficult to conceptualize what things were like before there was anything, before the heavens, before the earth was created. And, and that's the way it was. Uh, he notes this verse um, teaches that heaven and earth have not existed from all eternity. Um, uh, there's a fascinating book that I've had for many years uh, called Explore the Book by J. Sidlow Baxter. When I was a new Christian, we would go in here and preach at a place called Park of the Pines, a conference center. I don't even know if it's, if it's still there in Kent. Um, but he, he wrote a book which was, it was called Explore the Book, and it surveyed each book of the Bible. 
And uh, he writes here that it's fashionable today to profess disbelief in miracles, except the first sentence of scripture, and there will be little difficulty in accepting all the miracles that follow, for the less are included in the greater. Uh, note also you know, that in the first basic pronouncement of Scripture, there is a denial, he writes, of all the principal false philosophies which men have propounded. He says, in the beginning, God, that denies atheism with his doctrine of no God. In the beginning, God, that denies polytheism with his doctrine of many gods. In the beginning, God created, that denies fatalism with his doctrine of chance. In the beginning, God created, that denies evolution with its doctrine of infinite becoming. Uh, God created heaven and earth, that denies pantheism, which makes God and the universe identical. Uh, God created heaven and earth, that denies materialism, which asserts the eternity of matter. So those are, those are the beginning remarks on Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, secondly, I um, want to kind of just break it down into three different divisions. First of all, in the beginning, God. Um, one of the authors that I found helpful here on Genesis is Alders. In his work, um, he interacts with um, the, how the first words should be taken, how they should be understood. In the beginning, God created, or, or when God began creating. And he makes the case that they should be taken in absolute sense. Uh, the issue at hand is whether Genesis 1 teaches that creation of uh, was the, the creation of the world which did not previously exist or a process of transforming a pre-existent world. He argues they should be taken in an absolute sense, indicating the creation of a world that did not previously exist, which is the most natural and obvious uh, interpretation. Uh, he writes, this is the, the rendition that is found in every ancient translation without any exception. And finally, although the alternative translation is linguistically possible, it does not reflect common Hebrew usage. He writes, if then the expression in the beginning is taken in an absolute sense, we thereby at the outset point back to the beginning of everything that exists. Then secondly, God created. <clears throat> Excuse me. With, with regard to the being of God himself, H.C. Uh, Leopold, Leopold puts it like this. He that did the creative work is said to be God, Elohim. This Hebrew name is to be derived from a root in the Arabic meaning to fear or to reverence. It therefore conceives of God as the one who by his nature and his work rouses man's fear and reverence. It's a term that's used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. He indicates it's used by Moses in accordance uh, with its meaning, the, the work recorded in chapter 1 in a very outstanding way sets forth God's mighty works of power and majesty. God's omnipotence outshines all other attributes in this account. In other words, when you're reading through the early verses of the book of Genesis, what stands out is God's mighty power. It's kind of like reading Isaiah chapter 6. What stands out is God's holiness over and over. And what stands out at the beginning of the Bible is God's power. Uh, but he also writes this omnipotence rouses man's reverence and holy fear rather than love. Um, in other words, the, the, the reality of God's love doesn't necessarily produce reverence, but the display of his power does. In other words, it brings the creator to man's notice rather as Elohim than from any other point of view. So it has the effect of promoting a reverence. The creation has the effect of promoting a reverence for the being of a God who could accomplish this and do this. 
He writes, it so happens very appropriately that the first name subject of Genesis as well of the Bible is God. Uh, this this a verb created, God created, um, God's initial work of creation, it's, it's bara. Uh, he writes, this verb is uh, correctly defined as expressing the origination of something great, new, and epic making as only God can do it, whether in the realm of the physical or the, the realm of the physical or the spiritual. And I was kind of working through this and talk about, you know, creating, and it reveals the power of God and the greatness of God and the glory of God. And I was reminded of that this week. We were down in Hansville for a few days on the water, and in the evening time, the stars are out, and you're by the sea, and you're struck with the power of God's creation. But when I was going through this, he made the point, whether in the realm of the physical or the spiritual, to become a Christian, you're a new, what? Creation in Christ. And at least to my own mind, I find that to be a greater miracle than this other creation. Because it's unusual, is it not, to see to see somebody, they're, they're living their life and they're 25 or 30 or 35 years old. They're living for themselves. They have no interest in God, no interest in holy things. And then the Lord of glory regenerates them. They are born again. They are transformed. And now they are interested in their soul and they are interested in holy things. They are interested in the world to come. That, that's a tremendous testimony to the power of God, his creative power. If, anyone is, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation in Christ. Um, Alders points out that in the Old Testament, the verb uh, is used exclusively regarding God and his activity. It's never ascribed to a human person. Uh, the word is used not only to designate the activity of God, which brings the world into being, but also to describe his mighty works in upholding or renewing the world. And the notes that you have in, in front of you here are, are some examples. So We'll just go through some of these. And this is different ways in which this word to create is, is used throughout the Old Testament. But, and this is from Alders in his Bible student's commentary. He says, thus it is used with a regularly reappearing natural phenomenon such as the wind. Uh, Amos 4.13, for behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts. He who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. The Lord of hosts is his name. It's used for disasters that are sent by God. Isaiah 45, 7, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. It's translated uh, produced in Exodus 34, 10 for, for miracles in behalf of Israel. <clears throat> then God said, behold, I'm going to make a covenant. Behold, all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations. And all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it's a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. It's, a, it's used for the return from captivity, Isaiah 41.20, that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well, that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. It's used for the destruction of Korah, Dathan, and Abraham in Numbers 16.30. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these these men have rejected the Lord. It's used for the renewal of the sinful human heart. In Psalm 51.10, David prays, 
create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And this is another one of those things that that only God can do this. Only God can create in us a, a, a clean heart. He's the only one that could renew a right spirit within us. He's the only one that has the ability to do this. Spiritual cheerleading does not accomplish that. It has to be the spirit of God working across the face of the soul. Uh, for the for, this is the, the, for the fruit of the lips that is praising God with human lips praising God with human lips Isaiah fifty seven nineteen creating the praise of the lips peace peace to him who is far to him who is near says the Lord and and I will heal him I, I, I take that to mean that to, to to worship God the real worship leader has to be God creating praise creating worship in the soul impressing upon the soul the greatness and the glory of God. It's used for the creation of the new heaven and the new earth, uh, which Isaiah 57, 19 is really a good verse, uh, but doesn't have anything to do with that. Um, so let me just read to you, how about Isaiah 65, 17? Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. And also, the concept of the word create, it's confirmed by, by the interesting circumstance that the act of creating is ascribed to the word of God, to the word of God. Psalm 148, 5, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Psalm 33, 9, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Uh, Romans 4, 17, as it is written, the father of many nations have I made you, in the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Then I think a good summary paragraph, first by Alders, and then a thought here by John Calvin. Thus it is determined that in the beginning creation was an act of God. The first words of scripture purposely lift our hearts on high to God. In this way, it became apparent from the outset that the Holy Scripture, its very nature, is the revelation of God. And first of all, the revelation of God as creator. This is the first reality we must recognize and acknowledge that God is creator and that everything that exists in all its diversity and multiformity with all of its power to amaze and enrapture us exists only through an act of God which brought it into being. John Calvin wrote, Therefore, the meaning is that the world was made out of nothing. Let this then be maintained in the first place, that the world is not eternal, but was created by God. Okay, then the third major division here is God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. In the Old Testament, at least to some extent also in the New Testament, it's a definition of everything that exists. This is the way Alders puts, puts it, a definition of everything that exists. It has the same connotation as our word, our word universe, for which the Hebrew language did not have a specific word. And then in your notes here, here are some of the scriptures that support this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and some of these bear on him not only being creator, but the sustainer also of what he created uh, Genesis 14, 19, he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Genesis 14, 22, and Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Exodus 31, 17, it's a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. 2 Kings nineteen fifteen. Hezekiah prayed, before the Lord and said, O Lord, 
the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim. Thou art the God, thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Um, and then in um, in First Chronicles twenty nine eleven, um, also in the context of prayer, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head, as head over all. I know, I know I made the point recently, one of the great encouragements to pray is this reminder in the mind that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, and He can, if it's his will, he can accomplish whatever we lift to him in prayer. Second Chronicles 2.12, then Hiram continued, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth, and has given King David a wise son, endowed with discretion and understanding, who will build a house for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. Psalm 115 and verse 15, may you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 121 too, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 134, 3, may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Jeremiah 23, 24 begins with a question, uh, can a man hide himself in hiding places? And the answer is no, but the rest of the verse is, so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. More of an emphasis there on the omnipresence of the being of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And then Jeremiah 32, 17, all <clears throat> oh Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thine outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for thee. And then just a few more verses. And these are related to uh, the, just simply the idea that the sea is included, which you already would have concluded in your own thinking. But Exodus twenty eleven, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, Nehemiah 9, 6, thou alone art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. Thou dost give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down, bows down before thee. Let heaven and earth praise thee, the seas and everything that moves in them. And then Psalm 146, 6, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Okay. So those are the, kind of the three thoughts of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, or three divisions of thought. And now um, we're going to look uh, for a few moments at the, the lesson that uh, is based on, this is the first paragraph of, the, of this particular chapter of creation. So let me just read the paragraph in your hearing. Uh, it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or make of nothing the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the space of six days, and all very good. And then the outline that I'm using here is from Robert Shaw's work on the confession, which is very helpful. Um, I think seven sub-points here. Number one, in, in terms of what does this paragraph teach? Number one, it teaches that the world had a beginning. I know we've touched on this to some extent, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2, Before the mountains were born, O thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And secondly, the world, that the world had a beginning is implied in the phrases before the foundation of the world or before the world began, which is found in Ephesians 1.4 and 2 Timothy 
1.9, A.A. Hodge writes, the, the scriptures speak of a time when the world was absolutely non-existent. Uh, Christ speaks of the glory which I had with thee before the world was in John 17. Before thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Well, then, in the third place, that creation is a work of God. And it's, it's peculiarly a, a, an aspect of God's deity. You have to be God in order to create. Isaiah 44, 24, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. Isaiah 45, 12, It is I who made the earth and created man upon it, I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. Um, and then we notice that the work of creation is ascribed to all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, to the Father, in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for, their, excuse me, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, we exist through him. To the Son, John 1, 3, all things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. To the Holy Spirit, Genesis 1, 2. And, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Shaw's comment is, we must not therefore suppose that in creation, the Father is the principal agent, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, inferior agents or mere instruments in all external works of deity, each of the persons of the Godhead equally concur. And Hodge points out, A.A. Hodge points out, the scriptures attribute creation to God absolutely, without distinction of person, to the Father, uh, to the Father through the Son, to the Father through the Spirit, to the Son, and to the Spirit. So all three persons involved in the creation, all three persons of the Trinity involved in creation. Then number four, that creation extends to the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible. And I don't think we've touched on the idea of that, of being invisible, but um, in Acts 17, 24, this is in the context of Paul's address to the Athenians in, in what we would maybe call an evangelistic context. He says, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So he's, he's pressing upon them. This is the kind of God with whom you will have to do. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And then number five, this paragraph helps us to understand that the world and all things therein were created in the space of six days. Six days. Exodus 20.11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and, and, and made it holy. And, and Shaw's comment here, and this is dated, but others have uh, held that a day of creation was not a natural day composed of 24 hours, but a period of an indefinite length. To this it has been objected that the sacred historian, as if to guard against such a latitude of interpretation, distinctly and pointedly declares of all the days that, that each of them had its morning and evening, excuse me, evening and morning. Thus it should seem expressly excluding any interpretation which does not imply a natural day. If you go back to read Genesis uh, chapter 1, and you'll notice, I think it's in verse 5, verse 13, it speaks of morning and evening, and the natural way of, of understanding that it's a 24-hour day. 
Well, then in the sixth place, that all that were, oh, excuse me, that all things were created were very good. Genesis one thirty one. God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then number seven, I think, is especially important. God made all things for the manifestation of His own glory. He created all things. What is the reason? It is for the manifestation and for the display of His own glory. Um, A. Hodge underscores this with uh, four observations. He notes that the scriptures explicitly assert that this is the chief end of God in creation and of things as created, that is, to bring glory to God. Secondly, they teach that the same is the chief end of God in his eternal decrees, which you can read about in Ephesians chapter 1, and also of God's providential and gracious governing and disposing of his creatures. It is all commensurate with the display of his glory. And then fourthly, it is made the duty of all moral agents to adopt the same as their personal ends in all things, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So it, it comports with the purpose in creation. It is to bring glory to the being of God. And Brother Carlton, if you would close for us in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you this morning and have fellowship with each other and hear the teaching of your word and worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for that freedom and we thank you for revealing us, for revealing yourself to us through your creation and that it displays your glory and that we can marvel at the, uh, just your omniscience and your omnipotence as we uh, see these things that you've created for us to enjoy. We just pray that we will, as we go into worship service, prepare our hearts to receive more from your word and just that our worship will be glorifying to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.